the uh, uh, the the situation. If you look at what uh, cops do in various cities, they have detectives who, you know, when they have a guilty party who they perceive to be guilty, they help the DA uh, frame the case, and that's where framing comes from. And with Oswald, there was a lot of framing going on, whether rightfully or wrongfully, they believed he was the guy or deep state operatives were working to frame him. doesn't really matter. Uh, the, what does matter is there's multiple rifles up in the building. And the best part uh, of the building is the sniper's nest. And, you know, Walter Cronkite famously said on CBS Evening News, the assassin ate lunch while he waited for the president eating a chicken sandwich. So what's the chicken sandwich? It's a chicken sandwich being eaten by a cat named Bonnie Ray Williams, a black dude who worked there. And the boxes were really his lunch table, Sean, that he assembled to put the chicken sandwich on the box with his uh, Dr. Pepper and his Newport cigarettes. So he's up there eating on this combination of boxes. And when the Dallas police come up, they reconfigure the boxes multiple times to create a sniper's nest. Now you say, Mark, how could you know that? The schmucks took photos of it. So when you look at the photos, the Dallas police have photos of the boxes in various configurations so they could get the best configuration. So when you see the multiple photos, you go, what? And and it was Bonnie Ray Williams eating lunch up till 1230. So Oswald could never get into the sniper's nest. So when he testifies before the Warren Commission, he uh, the Warren Commission is trying to push him back time wise with their timeline to get him out of there. I think they push him back like four minutes to get him out at, tw- at 1225. So Oswald could run over, shoot the guy and then split. But it's so crazy. Anyway, they find the German Mauser up there. Uh, Seymour Weitzman finds the Mauser. But on the roof, uh, they find a 303 British Enfield. And you say British? Yes, that's right, Sean, a 303 British Enfield. Now, who does that belong to? I don't know. They arrest a guy named uh, Buell Wesley Frazier. Now, Buell Wesley Frazier works in the building. He's the one that got Oswald the job. His sister, Lenny Mae Randall, got him the job. Uh, she knew, uh, you know, Ruth Payne, who lived next door. So he would go to work when he was staying over to visit his kids at Ruth Payne's house next door in, uh, outside of Dallas and in, in Oak Cliff. Uh, the house is a National Historic Monument, by the way, for reasons that nobody can explain. So anyway... He um, he, uh, Buell Wesley Frazier is arrested. And he's charged with the murder of the president. And you go, what? How can another guy be charged with the murder of the president? I never heard this, Mark. Well, he's charged by a guy named Detective Gus Rose. And Gus Rose browbeats this cat, gives him two lie detector tests, threatens him with the electric chair. They say that he killed the president. They've got the weapon. There's film footage of them lowering the weapon. Uh, and people who know this, who are around my age, who have seen the footage of them lowering this British Enfield down the fire escape of the Texas School Book Depository. It's since been scrubbed off the internet. Uh, Just to make people should know, not everything on the planet Earth is on the internet. I know that's impossible for people to understand. And not everything is in Wikipedia. In Langley, Virginia, the CIA has a Quonset hut of just agents working Wikipedia 24-7. Uh, so uh, just because it's not Wikipedia, not on the Internet, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Just keep that in mind, because I come from an analog world and I'm now living in a digital world. But when it was analog, different things were happening anyway. So they lower this British Enfield down. They go to they go to um, uh, Frazier's house and they seize out of his closet uh, 303 British Enfield and all his ammo. And he likes to go to the uh, shooting range and he is a marksman and he loves going shooting. Uh, and he's young. He's 20. Uh, 
uh, and he looks like a Weasley kind of guy. Uh, but anyway, he's scared shitless, to make a long story short. He's scared to death. They're threatening him with the electric chair. And uh, he's, they said, did he have a package? You know, and, he, and as, as, as Lenny Mae Randall and Wesley Beale Frazier's mother, their brother and sister, the mother told the FBI in, a, in the uh, interview that the FBI did with her that she was looking out the window of the house when Oswald got into the car with Wesley Buell, Buell Wesley Frazier to go to work. And he had nothing in his hands. The uh, foreman at the loading dock in back of the Texas School Book Depository said to the FBI in an official form, a 201, uh, he had nothing in his hands when he got to work. So he has nothing in his hands when he gets in the car. He has nothing in his hands when he gets to the loading dock at the Texas School Book Depository. What are we going to do? Well, we got this guy, Wesley Buell Frazier. And uh, what he did have in his hands was a small lunch bag, uh, a brown bag that you would make for lunch, Sean, to go to school with a sandwich and an apple. And that fit in his coat pocket. That was the package. So what the what Detective Rose did was he stretched that package out to the length of a gun. And Buell Wesley Frazier came up with the idea of curtain rods. And you say, well, where would he get curtain rods from? Well, if you read his recent memoir that came out last year when he worked in high school for the summer, he worked in a department store. He worked in the shipping department and his specialty was shipping out curtain rods. What a coincidence. Buell Wesley Frazier is the guy that said Oswald had curtain rods and he worked in a department store in the shipping department where, Leon, where he only shipped out curtain rods. So his, the curtain rod thing I, I comes from Buell Wesley Frazier. But Detective Rose is is setting up Frazier as a backup patsy or possibly uh, the 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 actual shooter because Frazier um, how long he worked yeah he he had worked before Oswald had but Frazier goes down in the basement to eat his lunch for reasons nobody understands and we don't see Frazier during the shooting because he's down in the basement so Frazier is now scared to death and he has his sister back him up with this story, at least Detective Rose does. And you say, well, who's Detective Rose? Well, I urge your viewers to watch a movie by Errol Morris called Thin Blue Line. In that movie, 1983 documentary of a man being framed for a murder in Dallas, Texas, in Texas, having nothing to do with the JFK assassination. It's a movie about uh, the Dallas police framing an innocent man for murder. And the guy doing the framing is the same Detective Rose 21 years later, Sean. Same cat. And if you want to see how it's done, if you dispute it, watch Thin Blue Line, which is an Academy Award, I don't know, Academy Award winning, was nominated. Uh, Errol Morris, the uh, very famous American documentarian. So anyway, so Frazier and his sister backs him up on this, of course, because he's threatened the Thin Blue Line classic. That's true. Frazier scared shitless goes along with this uh, curtain rod story package story because they got to get the the rifle into the building in the storyline sean and this is how the rifle gets into the building uh now recently other people have come out and said various things you know i found a bullet this secret service agent paul landis is now being shepherded around by a deep state operative named james robinault uh james robinault is deep state that's as deep as they come he's his uh uh handler quote unquote and landis says he found the magic bullet on the back of the limo uh recently which is you know it's kind of an original story except that 10 years earlier secret service agent sam kinney said he found the magic bullet on the back of the limo what 
they both said they did. <laughs> it's the same story that Sam Kinney said uh, 10 years before 19 uh, uh, in 20, uh, the 50th anniversary when in 2013. So anyway, so Landis is a fraud and they shepherd him around. They get these handlers to go out. Uh, Frazier did the same thing. They were handling him for his book. Uh, the same thing with a lot of these cats. The reality of it is you can dismantle the Warren Commission very quickly with with simple things like the the, the boxes and 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 uh, uh, Bonnie Ray Williams eating his lunch there. And, uh, you know, the guys are down below his friends on the fifth floor looking up at him and him eventually going down there. But uh, Oswald, you know, when you go to look at his record, it's a long family history of intelligence operatives in his family alone. Uh, Dorothy Muret, who is his uh, first cousin, kind of a sister, ends up being a spook going around the world, multiple countries, claiming she's a teacher. She's CIA. Uh, uh, there's a lot of fingerprints of intelligence all over. His, uh, Eugene Muret invites <coughs> invites Oswald to, to speak at Spring Hill College in Mobile, Alabama, on what it's like to live in the Soviet Union, a Jesuit college. And uh, Eugene Muret is going to school there. So here's this lone nut assassin giving a lecture uh, a couple of months before the assassination on life in the Soviet Union in a Jesuit college. And you say, well, who spoke there afterwards? It was a series, right? Yeah, it was a series of speakers. The speaker a week later was another obscure figure named Clay Shaw. He spoke there and what it's like uh, to work in the international trademark. Uh, it, it, you can't make this up, Sean. I mean, there's just so many wonderful, odd factoids that I uncovered during the course of my uh, research that make you laugh. I mean, or cry, depending on how you want to look at it. So we had a question from a viewer earlier, and the question was, was there an assassination attempt on JFK before this one? Oh, yeah, there, were, there was actually three. There was Chicago uh, with Thomas Arthur Valley, who was a um, an Oswald lookalike. He was an ex-Marine. He was arrested with multiple weapons. He was in a building uh, overlooking the freeway uh, leading to uh, Soldier Field in Chicago, where JFK was showing up for a Army-Navy game. Uh, that was called off at the last minute because of security reasons. The JFK returned to Washington. Uh, Valley was apprehended. Uh, there was two attempts, one in Tampa and one in Miami earlier on. Uh, the road led to Dallas, but that was not the final destination. If he hadn't been killed in Dallas, people forget the next day was a, a huge Sunday uh, barbecue at the LBJ Ranch. And there were shooters waiting in the woods, from what I understood, that he was not getting out of the state of Texas by Sunday. So if if, if it did fail, by the way. The original plan was the, for the trademark, not the uh, uh, the destination was the trademark for the assassination. If you want to see a trademark style assassination movie, I recommend uh, Parallax View with Warren Beatty and you'll see how it's done. So if he was subject to these previous attempts, then how come he wasn't going around in a Pope mobile? He was going around in an open top vehicle. Who was advising him? It's not a question of advice. It's a question of stripping away security uh, of Secret Service. Uh, and you see the radical, radical difference of the protection of the protection service of the Secret Service when he gets to Dallas compared to Tampa, compared to all these other cities, compared to Europe. Uh, it's enormously different. Vince Palomara 
who I recommend is the top expert on the Secret Service uh, regarding the Kennedy assassination. So the stripping of the of the um, of the Secret Service can be seen right at Love Field, where uh, agents are waved off the car. Uh, bubble or no bubble, it's kind of irrelevant. The Secret Service was out all night, at least six of them, drinking uh, uh, moonshine and white, uh, you know, white lightning in a club called The Cellar in Fort Worth, where they were blind drunk. Some of them lost their guns. A couple lost their badges. They came directly to work from that uh, incident, completely blind drunk. They were called. James Rowley, the head of the Secret Service, was later called before the Warren Commission. And, and they said, we assume you fired them. And he says, no, they've suffered enough. The shame and humiliation of losing the chief they were guarding as enough punishment. I mean, these guys were... Uh, drinking all night, uh, whether intentionally or not, uh, they believed that uh, uh, they had that luxury to do that. So how many shooters do you think there were, and where were they positioned? What direction were the bullets coming in from? Was he triangulated? I don't know about triangulated, but I'll tell you this. Uh, John Connolly was shot separately from the rooftop of the Texas School Book Depository. If you look at the angles just of uh, Connolly, it goes straight down from his right shoulder coming out of the midsection of his body into his uh, wrist and then left leg. That angle can only come from the roof of the building where they found the 303 British Enfield. Uh, whether it was Frazier up there or not, somebody was on that rooftop shooting down at Connolly. That's a separate, nobody ever discusses this. Um, it's a completely separate shooting. The Connolly shooting, the Connolly wounds do not line up with anything other than the rooftop. The th shot to the throat, uh, the opening shot to JFK's throat, uh, you know, when you walk it off, when you go over to the trestle and you walk to the extreme left side of the trestle, you can see where the shooter shot from. Uh, it's a curve. You, and if you're in the middle of the trestle, it curves. So you can't really see the people in the middle. It kind of curves over. Uh, so the view is kind of obscure. Now to the, to the left of that, is the federal building uh, with every federal agency is right in that building. It's now it's now a post office building. But at the time, multiple federal agencies were in there. The parking lot was right there. It was a, a fantastic, fantastic shooting opportunity uh, for the throat shot, the initial shot, the head shot, obviously grassy knoll by the picket fence. When you stand there, Sean, it's 35 feet for Christ's sakes. It's so short. Uh, I, I can't even explain it to your audience how close it is of a shot uh, from that picket fence to the headshot. The back wound, when the upper right back wound, uh, appears to come from the second floor of the Dal Tex building, which is the building adjacent uh, to the Texas School Book Depository, uh, uh, where Abraham Zapruder had an office uh, for his company, and multiple things were in there. I mean, James Braden was arrested when he came downstairs, had a phony driver's license. He had met with uh, uh, Bunker Hunt the day before H.L. Hunt's son with Jack Ruby. He had been in town for whatever scurrilous things uh, he was involved with the night before. And he's literally arrested uh, coming out of the Dow Tex building, a, a, a mobster uh, who was linked to both assassinations because he was arrested or interviewed by LAPD the night of the uh, RFK assassination, by the way. Odd little tidbit. The only man linked to both assassinations. Multiple names and uh, a really interesting character. So what was the motive to shoot Connolly? Because wasn't, wasn't there a theory that he was in on it? Well, I'll tell you this. The night before in the Texas Hotel in Fort Worth, 
the night before, two o'clock in the morning, same day, but it was the night before, two o'clock in the morning, the loudest argument uh, that Jackie Kennedy in her memoir writes she'd ever heard her husband being involved in was LBJ screaming at JFK at two o'clock in the morning to move Connolly out of that seat and put in the senator from the great state of Texas, who was the arch enemy of LBJ, the liberal senator. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And, and he went to war, LBJ, to get Connolly out of that seat. And I don't know, I don't think Connolly knew what was going on because Connolly lied and, and, and made phony phone calls to the White House to get the trademark to be the destination for the speech. It was originally the women's building uh, at the fairgrounds uh, further to the east, uh, which was cleared by the Secret Service. The Secret Service looked at the trademark and said it was a new building and said, this is undefendable. We can't defend it. It's got trestles, catwalks, multiple entrances. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. And they turned it down. And everyone approved the women's building as the destination for JFK's speech. Now, the women's building was perfectly defensible. You could drive the car right into the building and get out right inside. Connolly went to war to get the trademark to be the final destination. And I think he believed that's where the assassination was going to occur. He, if, you, if you read Jerry Bruno's book, uh, Advance Man, he was the advance man for JFK. He wrote a memoir. And he had a huge screaming match with Connolly. And Connolly picks up the phone. He says, I'm going to get to, I'm going to end this right now. And he calls the White House. And in front of Jerry Bruno, he says, I'm on the phone with uh, the president's staff, with, with O'Donnell and, and, and the staff. And he goes, uh-huh, that's right. He's here now and does this whole thing. And when Bruno goes back to Washington, he looks at the White House logs, phone logs, and, Con- and Connolly had faked the whole call. There was no record of the call. He faked this and went to war to get the trademark as opposed to the women's building. Just think about that. And LBJ went to war with JFK to get him out of that seat uh, and, and put his arch nemesis in there. And LBJ, uh, you know, sat next to Ralph Yarbrough. That's the senator, the liberal senator of Texas. Uh, and Kennedy was saying, I don't want to sit next to a liberal senator politically. I'm looking for conservative votes. That's why I want Connolly. But LBJ knew a little bit more than uh, JFK did. In fact, the entire last mile of the trip, uh, LBJ had the Secret Service uh, microphone over the back seat, into the back seat, listening, crouched down to the events over the Secret Service channel as to what was going on in the motorcade, uh, bent over. Wow. We've got a question from a viewer. We've touched on this, but I'll see if you've got anything to add. Who chose them to be in the open-topped vehicle, and do you think it is the norm or suspicious? It's not really because it's plastic. It doesn't really matter. I mean, uh, Bill Moyers, uh, LBJ's aide, said he did it. The Secret Service claims that Sam Kenny said he did it. Uh, Sam Kenny took responsibility for it. It it really didn't matter because it was made out of plastic. Uh, you know, and it wasn't raining. There were times when he had it on. There were times when he had it off. It, it was it was really a random thing. It's a it's a it's a MacGuffin, uh, to use the phrase of Hitchcockian language, uh, about the the plastic bubble top. It wouldn't have mattered one way or the other. We've got another viewer asking about the role of George Bush Senior in any of this. You know, you get a lot of that. I I, I I've never found anything other than. Uh, the fact that he made a phone call to the CIA 
uh, saying that a guy in Houston had told him he wanted to kill the president. There's tons of that stuff. Uh, he later obviously becomes head of the CIA and, you know, is friends with George DeMorenschild. There's a lot of stuff. But I mean, other than that, and I'm not saying he's not uh, involved. I've just never seen any evidence other than the phone call about the guy in Houston, just some random guy saying, I want, I'm going to kill Kennedy. Uh, which had no connection to the actual assassination. I mean, the CIA and the FBI got tons of that stuff after and before. Uh, so that was not unusual. Obviously, he's he's a spook in regards that he becomes the head of the spooks. I mean, he becomes the head of the CIA. And, and DeMorenshill famously writes to him that at the end of his life, he needed help from uh, George Bush, and he wouldn't give him the help that he needed uh, for the people who were coming for DeMorenshill. So we had Michael Francis on talking about the role of the mafia in this, the incentive. Mm -hmm. Have you, uh, you know, what's your take on that? Another MacGuffin, another distraction. I mean, Ruby's obviously mobbed up. He goes to Vegas to pick up the money, which is $50,000 to do the execution on Oswald. But I mean, the mob is a cutout in regards to deep state money going through the mob and coming to uh, Ruby. The $50,000 is equivalent to uh, about $500,000 today in, in today's money, by the way. Anybody who thinks that uh, killing a man for, for fifty grand is low, it was the exact amount of money that Ruby owed the IRS. And he signed over his power of attorney to his attorney and told him to uh, take care of his IRS bills uh, because he knew that he was going to have to do what he was going to do. And he was scared shitless, Ruby. I mean, he goes there Friday night. He, and he stalks him Friday night. He famously makes a statement that it's fair play for Cuba committee uh, when Henry Wade uh, 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 mis mispronounces the name of the organization. Uh, he comes after him on Saturday. And then finally, he's got to do the job on Sunday. But he himself calls up on Friday and Saturday night uh, to the Dallas police saying that Oswald's going to be killed and they should move him. And uh, he's trying to get off the hook himself. The third call he makes, there's a young kid at the desk. It was late at night, a, a private. And uh, he gets the call. And, he, and again, it's the same thing. Uh, Oswald's going to be killed. You should get him out of there. Don't keep him here because he wants to get off the hook, Ruby. <laughs> and the guy goes, is this Jack Ruby, the owner of the carousel club? And he slams the phone down uh, because the kid recognized his voice. Uh, he didn't want to do it. Uh, he was, you know, obviously a mob guy, but he was also an investigator and a guy who worked for Richard Nixon during the rackets hearings in the 50s. I mean, Jack Ruby, uh, Rubenstein has a long history of working to defeat Nazis uh, in, in Chicago. He was part of a group that Meyer Lansky had put together to beat up Nazis uh, uh, before the war. Uh, there's a long history on Jack Ruby, but the mob involvement is another misnomer. Uh, it's just another MacGuffin. Uh, the the money was funneled through him for Jack Ruby to do the execution, but the idea that they would spend five hundred thousand dollars to kill Oswald uh, is absolutely insane. Question from Martin: Does Mark know what the letter said that Oswald wrote to an FBI officer? Uh, from what I understand, and you know, this is the letter that James Hosty was ordered to destroy by his superior. Uh, from what I understand, it was "Leave my wife alone" letter. Because they were all over Marina, uh, and rightfully so. Marina had come from an intelligence family. She was a honeypot, uh, a honey trap for him, and this was going on. Oswald had been a phony defector. They had brought their wives back. Uh, numerous defectors were had done the same thing. And the Soviets 
uh, would have their honeypots divorce these guys and then operate freely in the United States. And we were aware of this program. Uh, they did it numerous times. They did it to Clayton Lone Tree in the 80s, uh, a guard at the embassy uh, at an embassy in Europe. So it was a, a constant Soviet program. And so anyway, so Hosty was assigned to uh, keep an eye on Marine Oswald. And Ruby uh, and Oswald, uh, Oswald went over there and he wrote a letter. He wanted to see Hostie. And the letter was basically, from what I understand, was, you know, leave my wife alone. Question from Justin. What about the fact that LBJ was on Air Force One after the assassination in the shower crying, it's a plot, it's a plot, they're going to get us all? Ah, that was a nice act by LBJ. What, uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Nice try. But I'll tell you something funny. The first thing he did was uh, um, uh, call his broker uh, and tell him to sell the stock. First call he made was to his broker, um, uh, Bullion. And he told him, where's the market at? And he goes, well, the guy says, you know, it's plummeting. Uh, uh, he goes, how far? And he tells him the number of the stock market plummeting. And he's gone, dang, it's not even anywhere near when FDR died. And he's upset. Mm that the stock market, and he sells his stocks. He, he calls them to sell, uh, Wadley Bullion, I think the guy's name was. And he's got his shirt off, and he's scratching his stomach and uh, laying on the bed, stretched out. The bed he's laying on is JFK's bed in Air Force One. And he's on the phone, and who comes in but Jackie Kennedy. And he's laying on her bed, of her husband's bed, two hours ago, on the phone with his stockbroker, for Christ's sakes, telling him to sell his stock. And he jumps up and he puts his shirt on. He apologizes. She's covered with blood. Uh, you know, uh, Lady Bird famously comes in, lays out a dress for her to wear. She says, I I'm not going to put that on. I wanted to see what they've done to my husband. You know, where's the blood cake uh, dress all through the uh, the swearing in. Uh, why he needed a swearing in, of course, was merely for show. Uh, he tortures Robert Kennedy on the phone uh, to give him the, uh, the lingo for the swearing in service, which wasn't necessary. But... Wow. Yeah. Question from question from John. Regarding Ruby, why would he be concerned about paying his tax bill when he knew he was going to kill Oswald? He well, okay. Ruby's a strange guy. He's very family oriented and his brother had loaned him a lot of money uh, for the club. He was in debt up to his ass. It's not a question of concern, it's a question of tying up loose ends. Uh he knew he was going to jail, but he also knew the Campisi brothers who uh, were over him uh, told him that the, he would never never do a long stretch in prison, that they would get him the best lawyers. And indeed, they did. And indeed, they got him a new trial. And indeed, he was going to go on trial uh, in Texas again uh, for the same crime. And people believed that he would get time served or a slap on the wrist at that point for killing the man who killed the president. Uh, they were right. They were right. And uh, the $50,000 at the time, he... He couldn't take it with him, thought he would be in jail for a stretch, and he gave it to his attorney to deal with the taxes. Uh, he installed a safe in the carousel club uh, to put the money in and bolted it to the floor with the help of an off-duty Dallas police officer, for Christ's sakes. So what do you think the motive was, or were there multiple motives to get rid of Kennedy? I think people had different motives. If you look at David Atlee Phillips, who's the head of the... Uh, 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 Western uh, CIA branch out of Mexico City, uh, um, his his motive was the fact that Kennedy had let those men die on the beach in the Bay of Pigs. The Mexico uh, branch is trying to frame Oswald uh, that he's going to go to Havana 
and trying to get a visa at the Cuban uh, embassy and the Soviet embassy. Uh, he's never in Mexico City. The photos that they show are not Oswald. If you look at the uh, transcript, the tapes have been destroyed, of course, but the transcript exists of J. Edgar Hoover the next day uh, talking to LBJ on the phone, and he tells him the, the photos and audio phone calls are that of an imposter. And this is what's given to J. Edgar Hoover by the CIA. And he says famously to LBJ, we have a problem down in Mexico City. And the problem is that they're framing Oswald not after the assassination, but on September 28th. Two months before the assassination, they have Oswald doing this stuff. Why is Oswald even on the radar of the CIA of Mexico City uh, to get a visa and to go to Havana? They're trying to lay the breadcrumbs for an invasion of Bay of Pigs, too, which is what they wanted. Elements in the government and in the state wanted different things. Some of them wanted the invasion of Cuba because the Bay of Pigs had been a failure. He, David Atlee Phillips... Uh, had trained these men uh, to uh, uh, invade Cuba. The Cubans were trained uh, in part by David Atlee Phillips, and and he felt incredible rage towards the Kennedys for letting these men die on the beach uh, in the Bay of Pigs. So was LBJ installed as VP in advance to allow this to unfold? Absolutely. They couldn't proceed without the knowledge that this man would not come after them, whoever this man is. This man, if you had read the Life magazine articles that were coming out November 22nd, which were canceled, were about him going to be indicted for the Bobby Baker scandal. He was going to be Spiro Agnew. Life magazine had received months and months and months of criminal activity from the attorney general's office, Robert Kennedy, uh, to Life magazine, and they had already written and printed the Life magazine edition that would have put LBJ in jail. That edition was canceled when the president was killed and replaced by a special edition about the JFK assassination. That's how close LBJ was in going to jail. And then he signs, you know, Security Action Memo 293, uh, or, or, you know, uh, giving them the Vietnam War, the generals, as a, kind of a, a extra prize because he wasn't going to give them the invasion of Cuba. He gave him the Vietnam War as a booby prize, you know, instead of going into Cuba, which he didn't want to do, which could have led to a nuclear war. So how dark was LBJ's past up to that point? (laughs) (laughs) Well, put it this way. You may want to look at a couple of my episodes on LBJ, uh, the Mm. ladies of LBJ and uh, some of the other nefarious things. I mean, he was really a crime boss. He had a he had a little mob. <laughs> they executed people. He ran Texas like like a, a mafioso. He it was a crime syndicate. It didn't have Italian names in it, but it was a crime syndicate with numerous people involved and a lot of money involved. LBJ made a lot of money as the speaker of the uh, of the Senate, uh, uh, as uh, the Senate Majority Leader, and uh, in the House. And he was known as the guy you had to go to for defense contracts. You had to give him a paper bag with about $50,000 in it uh, from General Dynamics or some of the bigger defense contracts. They had to go through him uh, because when he was in the Senate, he controlled that area of, uh, uh, of money. And he was the guy that uh, brown bagged and got all this money for him. And he you know, ran an organized crime syndicate. So who else had he ordered the execution of? <laughs> well, I mean, there, there, there was a, a grain, an investigator from the Department of Agriculture who he had ordered the execution of by Mac Wallace, 
that's that's pretty well developed. I mean, getting Mac Wallace off from his murder, making Mac Wallace his hitman was was pretty brazen. Mac Wallace was convicted of a, a premeditated murder of a golf instructor who was sleeping with his girlfriend. And uh, the girlfriend happened to be LBJ's sister. So he went to the golf uh, uh, club and he uh, executed him. Uh, it was an open and shut case. He was convicted of murder. Uh, the jury convicted him. And uh, with the help of LBJ and his lawyers, he was given probation. Uh, and then LBJ owned him. So Mac Wallace was able to be the enforcer. Uh, he killed um, a bunch of different guys. There's a list of them. Uh, but uh, this was part of running the state of Texas. So didn't JFK's dad see any of this coming with LBJ? I don't think his dad did. Keep in mind, LBJ is put on the ticket because J. Edgar Hoover sends two men over to the hotel here in Los Angeles during the 1960 Democratic Convention. And they've got photos of uh, JFK with various women. And LBJ's best friend is J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover blackmails uh, Kennedy into putting LBJ on the ticket. RFK comes back upstairs, finds out about it, goes ballistic, runs downstairs to LBJ's uh, suite, demanding that he remove himself from the ticket. And LBJ just laughs and he says, son, your brother just put me on the ticket. Why would I say no to, you know, who are you? And RFK is completely uh, furious about this. And JFK explains to him that these two guys visited him from the FBI the night before, showing him pictures of all the various women he's been with. Some of them, you know, one of them was a was a German spy. I mean, there was a lot of uh, nefarious uh, women that he was involved with, obviously a mobster's uh, uh, girlfriend on top of that. Uh, but that was just used as blackmail by Hoover, who was the best friend of LBJ. Lived across so the just- street from him for 20 years. Justin's asking about the role of Maya Lansky in this, whether Ruby got a call from Maya Lansky to shoot Oswald. Uh, not, that I, not that I know of. And what about uh, JFK saying he was going to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces or something like that? Well, he was did. That I a- mean, he, he fired Cabell. He fired Dulles. He, he fired the top three guys, Bissell, uh, uh, Dulles, and Cabell. I mean, Cabell's brother happened to be the mayor of Dallas, so that didn't work out. But he created the DIA to replace the CIA. Uh, The Defense Intelligence Agency was created by him as a replacement for the CIA because he said to his brother, how the hell did they get guns? And nobody knew how they got weaponized. And they were starting to shoot and do crazy crap with guns. They were supposed to be an intelligence gathering uh, uh, agency replacing the OSS. Uh, The OSS obviously learned uh, from British intelligence. We didn't have an intelligence agency. And uh, uh, Donovan, uh, uh, who was the head of the OSS, was taken under the wing uh, by Ian Fleming and others and taught how the British system worked, the British intelligence system, which he modeled OSS after during the war. That becomes later the CIA. Uh, uh, But, you know, this is what happened. And, you know, the rest is history. So we've interviewed a few people who've been in prison for many years with Saran Saran, and we've also interviewed Tim Tate on the subject. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think it was the same vested interests uh, that took out both brothers? I think it was LBJ. Yeah, I think that's the vested interest. I mean, uh, RFK Jr. and I uh, teamed up to get Sirhan paroled a year and a half ago. Um, we both went to his parole hearing. I convinced them of my take on the situation. And uh, for the first time... Since he was incarcerated, the parole board uh, agreed with me, agreed with RFK Jr. to parole him. 
And I, they, I, they, both of them, there's two of them. We had to go before the parole board and Sirhan was there. And uh, they both voted to parole him. And, and they were handpicked, obviously, by uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. And he overruled for the first time his own uh, uh, parole board's recommendation, never been done before, uh, simply because the Kennedy sisters said that uh, clearly this older, tiny man could take an Uber from Pasadena when he gets out and kill them in Malibu, as preposterous as that sounds. But that's a fact. And uh, I know RFK through uh, the parole. And Paul Schrade was a close friend of mine who was shot in the head uh, by Sirhan with the first shot goes into the temple of, of uh, Paul Schrade, who was the executive for the United Auto Workers, an old friend of mine. It will live very close by, passed away this summer. So how was Saran Saran tricked into this position? Well, I mean, there's a lot of mind control and there's a lot of uh, MK Ultra start going on with, with, <clears throat> with Sirhan. But he's clearly not the shooter. I mean, the shooter is clearly Thane Eugene Caesar. Uh, you know, if you look at at the uh, autopsy, uh, it's, it's an open and cut, open and shut case. And the, the autopsy, as as Noguchi said, uh, Thomas Noguchi, the coroner of Los Angeles County, it was a perfect autopsy. And Thane Eugene Caesar uh, fled. He was a deep state guy. <clears throat> he worked at uh, Grumman and he worked at Northrop and he also worked at uh, 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 Skunk Works here in Burbank had a uh, security department clearance. He retreats to the Philippines. In fact, RFK Jr. Uh, was attempting to negotiate with his handler, uh, a journalist named Dan Moldea, who was the handler of Thane Eugene Caesar. And they kept raising the price of the interview uh, until RFK Jr. realized he was being played. And he was about to get on a plane to go to the Philippines. Uh, Caesar just died uh, a few months back uh, this year. Uh, he was clearly the shooter in the case, just based on the simple ballistics. You can see how clear that is. So Sirhan, uh, the first shot goes through uh, Paul Schrade's head, and then they grab him, and there's wild shots going off, hitting everybody else, and his gun and the bullets add up to the amount of people who were shot. Uh, pretty open and shut case, if you ask me. Uh, LAPD again uh, brings in Manny Pena, who is CIA, and brings in another gentleman, who, who is a lie detector, master technician, uh, Hernandez, uh, the two of them bottle up the case. They're at CIA in the LA, LAPD intelligence unit, uh, Manny Pena and Enrique Hernandez. So you're getting asked for your thoughts on Sydney, Sydney Gottlieb, Jolly West, and Ewan Cameron. Yeah, it's all MK Ultra, my friends. Uh, Sidney Gottlieb is uh, is the mad scientist. Uh, Jolly West, of course, uh, kills Tusco the elephant with a 10 million uh, microgram injection of LSD. Tusco actually dies of a heart attack from the LSD. He films it. And uh, all of these guys, this is a trio of deep state guys. Jolly West famously injects Ruby with a cancer uh, pneumonia shot or cancer causing uh, a shot and how he gets into the Dallas police uh, jail cell to in, even get near Jack Ruby is a question you'd have to ask uh, uh, the district attorney of Dallas. Um, he's everywhere, Jolly West. I mean, he ends up here in New York. Uh, I'm in L.A. Uh, uh, taking on Scientology at one point. Question from Justin. Was it ever proved that Oswald was a double agent for Russia? For Russia, no, no, I don't think so. In fact, uh, uh, it's it's the I was just doing an episode on 
on Norman Mailer and his book, uh, Oswald's Tale, uh, and him and Schiller go over there when the Soviet Union is collapsing, trying to get the KGB files on Oswald, uh, uh, ostensibly under the cover that Norman Mailer is writing a book, a Warren Commission style book uh, on Oswald. And uh, uh, they try to get the KGB files and they go into um, Minsk and uh, uh, Belarus and uh, they're dealing with the KGB there. And they're giving them incremental information as they write each question. They won't turn over the files to them. Uh, and he was being watched, obviously, he was put right in the middle of their intelligence military complex there in Minsk uh, and stayed, you know, he gathered intelligence, human intelligence. There was no satellites back then, Sean. You had to have this phony defector program that James Angleton created where we put about 13 to 30 uh, the Soviets knew about it, obviously, and, and they just said, look how many guys are defecting all of a sudden. You know, there was 13 to 30 uh, military guys who were fed up with the U.S. who were put behind the Iron Curtain. Some were given Bulgaria, Romania. Oswald was given the Soviet Union. He went to Moscow. Uh, this is a, a, a fairly well-documented program at this point. So you got a question from Lisa, and Lisa's wondering whether you have written a book on this subject. Nah. It's too, it's too many, there's too many books out there. I've written a book on the history of drug rehabs and um, called Rehab Nation inside the secret world of celebrity rehabs that I recommend. It's on Amazon. If you uh, like celebrities, drugs and money, part of my beat as a reporter for the LA Weekly, my beat was corrupt drug rehabs here in Malibu and LA, uh, luxury rehabs. And I would go undercover uh, as a patient, Sean. Um, what's called emergent <laughs> journalism that I learned through Hunter Thompson. It's a Gonzo That's style cool. of journalism that, um, uh, so I wrote a book about that. So but Mark, the, the record, the record on the Kennedy stuff um, is the scripts and also about, you know, th 200 videos that I've done on it on America's untold stories and the new scripts, which are being created into a scripted audio drama, you can find and listen to, on uh, unstructured.locals.com. So Gerard is wondering whether you think there was a sniper on the grassy knoll disguised as a tree? Well, there's trees there. I mean, you could get in there pretty easily. I mean, if you get to that spot, uh, there's an episode where I go to Dallas and, and show the different locations, uh, uh, you know, with, with a camera on me. You see how easy it is. I mean, it is made for something like this, you know, and they obviously changed the parade route uh, literally a day or two before to do that dog leg little turn to get on the Stemmons freeway. The point, the point about the trademark is you don't need to do that dog leg to get on the Stemmons freeway to go to the trademark. And the trademark becomes essential to get there by going through Dealey Plaza. So uh, I don't know if you saw that movie American made about Barry seal, the uh, pilot for the, was that CIA? Tom Cruise was in that or yeah, I think it was, yeah, but there was yeah. there was a there was a theory that Barry Seal was a getaway pilot for some of the assassins in the JFK assassination. Have you heard heard ever heard anything about that? Never heard that, but I mean, it, they did use David Ferry at a Redbird airport. Uh, Ferry was funneling people like Clay Shaw up to Toronto when there was an embargo on uh, uh, nickel and and different minerals out of Cuba. Uh, Ferry obviously was a CIA pilot. He obviously did various runs into Cuba, uh, you know, to disrupt their crops and do various things there. So, I mean, if it was anybody, it was David Ferry who knew Oswald, you know, obviously from the Civil Air Patrol as a kid. And Ferry um, 
had in his apartment. He actually had like a, a cockpit from a T-33 trainer where he would take these kids and then try to make put the moves on them as a pilot training the, the kids in the uh, civilian air patrol. Yeah, I think Ferry had Barry Seal working on operations with him previously <clears throat> as well. Yeah. Um, Stuart wants to know, was there a lady in a red coat that the police never found? No, 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 no. I mean, there are various people wearing various colored coats. I mean, there's no reason to find uh, someone wearing a red coat. All right, we've just got five minutes or so left, viewers. Get your last questions in the chat now, wherever you are watching this in the world. Huge thank you to, to Mark. Do you think that the same dark, uh, deep state interests are operating or are they like competing cliques that, that no, take over? No, and... that's why I mentioned, Sam Kin- I mentioned Sam Kinney and I mentioned Paul Landis and I mentioned this because they all have handlers. Um, these people are alive and well and trying to spin yarns to distract from the facts of the case that myself and other people uh, know about. Uh, these mafia storylines that they spin, these other uh, 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 people come out to create these distractions because the CIA does not want you to know that it was them. And when I say the CIA, I mean that as a general term. I mean, ONI is deeply involved in this. When ONI was called before the, the uh, House Assassinations Committee, they famously told them to go F themselves. And they said, where are your records on Oswald? Because Oswald was ONI. He was not CNA, a CIA. He was ONI. And uh, they said, we destroyed them. And they said, what? He said, yeah, we destroyed them. Why? He says, because you called us to testify. And they literally stood there smug and under oath said they destroyed all their Oswald records for O&I. So when I, people say CIA, it's really like a catch-all phrase. I mean, there's plenty of other agencies involved in this thing. And I don't mean every person in the agency. Again, it's a small group of people from each agency. Question from Mind My Blues. What would have happened if JFK had only been wounded? Well, it's hard to figure. I mean, uh, that's why they had multiple shooters and he was not going to leave there. But as I said, if nothing had happened in Dealey Plaza, if the thing was called off, he was scheduled to go to the LBJ ranch the next day for a barbecue. And he was not going to leave that ranch uh, from what I understand. So they had backup plans because Chicago had failed. Tampa had failed. Miami had failed. They were determined that he was not getting out of Dallas. And, And a number of months before, uh, in the El Cortez Hotel, uh, John Connolly and LBJ browbeat Kennedy in June of 1963 to come to Dallas in the fall until he finally agreed. That was part of their involvement in the plot, Connolly and LBJ, was to get him to agree to come back to Dallas, Texas in the fall. And they would not leave him alone in that hotel until he agreed to do it. Wow. All right, next question is from Nicholas, and that's whether the, the CIA killed JFK. But isn't it, the CIA is just an enforcement arm of the vested yeah, interest, isn't right, it? right, exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it's, it's ever pulling their strings and telling them what to do. These are, the, I mean, look, David Atlee Phillips was involved. He's the head of the Western branch of the CIA out of Mexico City. Uh, was he a mastermind? He was one of the masterminds. I think Dulles was probably part of it and other people. But there's there's mechanics involved in this thing that the – People are not involved with lower-level mechanics. So ultimately, then, who would you say is the most powerful vested interest that could have called this shot? And are there any specific individuals that would have been the most powerful? 
I, I would say LBJ because he has the most to gain. He has means, motive, and opportunity. He has to get this done. The, the reward is the greatest. All through world history, uh, what's known as the second in line ascension assassination, the main suspect is always the second guy who is ascending to the throne. That is the number one suspect in the history of the world, going back to Rome. Uh, and this guy here ascends to the presidency. He literally has a hearing going on with investigators at the time uh, who were showing that he took bribes and corruption from uh, from LBJ's men. And this investigation is ongoing at the exact time in the Senate uh, behind closed doors as JFK is getting his head blown off and it's eradicated the second LBJ becomes president. But a lot of conspiracy researchers believe that the president in is a person in name only that doesn't really have the power and that the invisible hand has the power. So you're saying in this case, LBJ did have the power more oh, than the invisible hand. Not only did hand. he have the power. If you read the Robert Caro five-volume books on LBJ and see you know, House of, House of Cards, I think it was, uh, with Kevin Spacey, who came from the British, the British show originally, right? Uh, you will see the use of power by uh, LBJ. He knew how to use it. He worshipped it. He was a megalomaniac, an alcoholic, a sex maniac. Uh, he was a, a, a pathological liar, narcissist. I mean, he had a lot of mental problems, uh, but power was his drug besides uh, uh, two quarts of scotch a night, uh, <laughs> which was a massive amount of alcohol that he would consume. He would take Jumbo out and show Jumbo around the White House uh, he would use the N-word uh, for the butlers and orderlies there screaming in the middle of the night. I mean, there is stuff on LBJ, but the liberals have embraced him. And I've argued with Oliver Stone so many times about LBJ's involvement. And he's starting to move the needle a little bit. He's always believed that LBJ was involved in the cover-up, uh, but not the planning. And I think even Oliver is starting to move over to uh, our side. This might be the last question I've got time for now, and it's from Ray J. I'm glad you asked this, Ray J, because I was going to ask this. Um, is Trump, is Donald at risk today from the deep state? If he gets back in power, would, would they make a move like this? I think they would make the move before he gets back in power because the, every single poll in the United States now has him winning by a landslide. Uh, this is an inevitability that they may have to kill the guy to, to uh, perpetuate the deep state. Uh, this is getting terrifyingly real. Uh, you know, you're hoping that he has the protection. He's going to these rallies uh, all the time. He's visibly in public quite a bit. Um, they are not going to wait till he gets back in office if they're going to do this. This is going to be done if they do do it between now and November uh, uh, to make sure that he does not get back in and come after them. Do you think an alternative strategy they've employed that they might apply to Trump is the sex charge allegations nah, kind of they thing? Never, they never stick. They never stick. They've tried every single one on the history of the world. None of them stick, because if you grew up with Trump like I did, I don't mean personally, but I mean in New York and pop culture, uh, Trump was always this guy who had women flocking to him because he had money. He was good looking uh, and he did not need to do what they're alleging he did. That was not the Trump that everybody knows growing up in New York. And that's why none of the 10 million attempts to smear him with women have ever stuck. They have tried. Now they're trying to move on to other areas now with these political uh, trials, you know, the, the different trials that he's on now uh, to jail him. And they will jail him. They will attempt to jail him. It's going to be very awkward as we get closer to November. 
Well, huge thank you, Mark. We would love to get you back at some point. You've got such a vast um, level of knowledge on this subject. It's blown us all away. The viewers, thanks for all your questions. It's been great. And can you let people know where they can find and support what you're doing? Yeah, we go to America's Untold Stories with uh, myself and Eric Hunley. We're on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, Tuesdays, usually a deeper uh, storytelling. And Fridays is Freeform Friday, where we just riff. Uh, also, unstructured.locals.com. If you want to join locals, uh, you don't have to join. You can just go on there for free. If you want to join, uh, you can get to see and hear Oswald, the AI scripted audio drama that we've created of Oswald. That, I mean, that is the latest rage right now. And part one is out if you want to join up. If not, you, there's plenty of stuff to do on un, unstructured.locals.com, which is growing every day. Everybody's over on Locals now. It's a free speech platform, like a Twitter, Facebook combo deal, uh, but there's no censorship, and it's and it's you know a lot of free speech advocates are over there now. All right, and I'm on you. I'm on Twitter at Lord Buckley, as we put on the bottom. We salute your excellent work, Lord Buckley. Have a great rest of your day. Cheers. Thank you, thank you, Sean. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. a lot of fun. Thank you, bro. Cheers. Bye. Well, if you're looking for a gift, my new book, Sit Downs with Gangsters, is available worldwide on Amazon. We've interviewed over a 1,000 people now, and we selected 10 of the hardest-hitting stories to go in this book. Each chapter features the story of one of our podcast guests. Those stories are Shane Taylor, Knife Maniac's Redemption, John Elite, Mafia Hitman for the Gambino crime family, Joey Barnett, 35 years in UK prison, Ian Blink MacDonald, £6 million bank robber, Chet Sandu, Asian smuggler in Spanish Supermax, John Lawson, the hit team commander, David Macmillan, international smuggler's tie death row prison escape, John Abbott, San Quentin prison shootout and escape, Michael Francis, Colombo crime family capo portrayed in Goodfellas. And Wildman, English enforcer in Arizona prison. Link in description box on YouTube, available worldwide on Amazon. Also, my next book, Untouchable Jimmy Savile, is getting published in December 2023. So check that out as well. It will be available worldwide on Amazon. Thank you for listening. Cheers. 